With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's start with waterways today. Yeah, waterways travel, um, you know, with the hurricane season spinning up and the South Pacific, uh, the Southern Ocean, I should say, the Southern Hemisphere in general, um, re-firing up uh, where we had a little bit of a, a lull in the action. Things are ha- things are happening, and now is the time to be booking trips. You know, my favorite time to surf is probably the fall, you know, like September, October, November. And it's a great time to get late-season South Wales with uncrowded situations, and you can do that. Of course, what you want to do is go to Waterways. Waterways, uh, <clears throat> they're the experts in travel, David. These guys have been doing it. Sean Murphy and his crew have been doing it for, I, I want to say, I bet like four decades or something like that. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, 1994 is when he actually founded the business. But obviously the business was founded because of what he was doing prior to that, which was traveling the world and kind of pioneering these spots. Um, and the other thing is they're con- full concierge service essentially. So yeah, they'll help you you know, um, book your flights, book the hotel, get those details in place, but they also help organize photographers. They'll tell you which boards to bring. They'll tell you when to go and what to expect in terms of conditions and travel and all that sort of stuff. So invaluable service and often for less than you would spend if you were doing it on your own and um, without the the threat of being skunked when you're doing it on your own too, because they'll dial you into all those things. So hard to beat. It's really hard to beat, and it's really the one-stop shop for surf travel waterways. And then Driftline.co, we've been telling people about them. Um, Driftline are a half-millimeter patented neoprene-lined wetsuit or neoprene-lined board short. 
So fully functional board short with neoprene underneath, which is, uh, why is that a good thing, Scott? Well, it keeps us warm, it keeps us comfy, and um, I think comfy is the most important part. I guess warm is being part of, is part of being comfortable. I'm just a huge fan. I mean, I've found my board shorts for life. I, The thing that I noticed about this, and I talked to you about it too when we were surfing together, is that the one thing I never think about is my board shorts. And in the mm. past, when I'd go surfing, I'd have like a rash on my leg or, you know, just to, it was something, it was another thing I had to deal with. And um, interestingly, I was on Stab and they have this thing about something about data proving that this is, these are the best board shorts you should wear yeah. or whatever i didn't do a deep dive on it but i doubt greatly that they were wise enough to include drifties from driftline because drifties from driftline are the best board short in the world and i'll never use another it's funny that you say that i, I clicked on that article and read it too and what it was i think was just user data like they sent out a survey and people answered yeah. it and okay. so the brands the brands that were listed as one through five were the most widely available popular brands, you know? And then the ones that were like, had a tiny amount of votes were the ones that you just, you have to be in the know to even buy them, you know? Like they're not available at massive Walmart. retailers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm like, man, this doesn't make any sense at all because so I've tried a lot of those and so many of the smaller ones are superior to those bigger ones, but clearly Driftline wasn't in the mix because if it were, there's just zero comparison. It's that much better and it's, unique it's different than all of those because it's patented you know yeah look but. get your drifties at driftline.co go there now check them out driftline.co pick up a pair of the best board shorts in the world yeah promo code by the way spit for 15 percent off don't forget that as we see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit. 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 We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy, David. Yeah, friggin' guy. Uh, it is spit. We talk all things surfing. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you here on this Tuesday, August 8th. David, good morning. Good morning, Scott. Wonderful to see you again. U.S. Open just wrapped up. The Chopu Trials just wrapped up, and that event is set to start in the next couple of days here. Lots going on in the professional surfing contest world. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. And, um, you know, frankly, I think the U.S. Open was was kind of fun to watch. <laughs> I know why. why. Why? Tell me why. Because I, it was the waves are pretty good. It was contestable for Huntington Beach. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it a lot worse. And um, I don't know. Fill me in. I'm trying to figure out why I was I engaged. I know why. First of all, you're crazy to say the waves are good. <laughs> Okay. The waves I mean, are like literally one to two feet. That's pretty good for Huntington Beach. <laughs> it's like one to two foot shore break, so it's punchy, and lightweight people or longboarders can do turns on that. That's it. That, full stop. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I saw like Nolan Raposa just ripping. I saw these kids just like 
Doing 360s at will, like carving 360s on two-foot waves. It's virtually two-foot shore break, and yeah, they can do that. Um, But the reason why I think that it was engaging for you and me too, surprisingly, is simply because a bunch of local boys made it through. Like, I was really just focused on Nolan Raposa, you know, because I've seen him surf since he was, you know, eight years old or something like that. And then having Crosby, who I haven't seen surf that young, but he's from you know, 45 minutes down the road. So he'd also be considered a local boy. Seeing him, Kanoa was making it through to the court, to the semifinals, I think. So he's the local boy. So all of that local contingent fighting it out, not only for the event win, but for a spot on the 24 CT had me engaged. Yeah, I think that must be it. It, it felt like, I don't know. I was just, it almost feels like I was, I'm missing out on contests or something. Like I haven't, haven't been watching enough contests or something, but I was stoked for my my good friend Richie Cravey, who was in the longboard quarterfinals. He got DQ'd on a um, <clears throat> on a drop in, but uh, he did well, did surfed well, and um, yeah, good good fun. Just you know, the U.S. Open wasn't overly through the roof um, surf wise, but um, yeah, it seemed like I think part of it too. It seemed like in the past the broadcast was really like. It felt like you were kind of at the U.S. Open, like there'd be like highlights of the BMX coming up and this and the tattoo contest is over here and, you know, and it just seemed more focused on surf. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's true. That being said, the commentary itself, I didn't have the volume up a lot, but when I did. It's uh, they just run out of things to discuss. Ultimately, you know, I mean. I'm it's not hard. blaming, I know, I'm not blaming the commentators themselves because I'm sure they do, a, you know, good given given the raw material, but they just run out of things to discuss. I mean, again, when people are surfing two foot, basically shore break, there's not that, like, it's hard to make that sound exciting over and over. And in that style of waves, there's really only so much you can do. And yeah. so, you know, after you've seen eight heats of it, I don't know how you commentate the next 18 heats. <laughs> it's, it's a difficult scene. Yeah, but I let's get in, let's know. get into some of it a little bit. Um, Eli, yeah. congratulations to Eli Hanneman and another local that I did not mention, which is Sawyer Limblad, who's coming out of San Clemente and um, really, I mean, making her presence known. Um, the longboard division. What do you, by the way, what did you think about watching longboarders in that style of surf? I feel like maybe they broadcasted more longboarding this year. It seemed almost like equal parts longboard versus shortboard. Yeah, look, I've I've uh, sort of lambasted the Huntington Beach as a spot for the longboard tour for a long time. I don't think it's a great longboard wave. I don't think it's a stretch to consider it a great longboard wave. It's just not a good longboard wave. It's just a, as you mentioned, fast, crunchy beach break. Now, the the old school longboarders, you know, like there's a contingent of guys that'll be like, yeah, but the history, because they've been having longboard contests there since like 1957 or whatever, you know, they had the U.S. championships there in the early 60s. And and so, you know, that's part of the problem really with surf contests in general is you get all these older guys talking about the legacy and that we can't give it up. But I don't think Huntington Beach is a good longboard wave and I've let it be known. And I don't think uh, that's a stretch. I don't think that I'm saying anything that a lot of people don't agree with. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Kalis Kaleopa'a won over Honolulu Bloomfeld, and then uh, Taylor Jensen lost in the final to Connie Ellis Stewart. 
Um, so Hawaiians took down the final, but yeah, I would turn it on and I, I'd watch them and I'm like, they'd get a little nose ride or something, but ultimately when they completed the ride, it wasn't, it was like, I wasn't ever impressed. Like that wasn't impressive longboarding. They would complete some turn. And I'm like, wow, that was kind of crazy that they were able to get the board up into the lip and then land it because that was a closeout, you know, shore break yeah. section. But goodness gracious, this is not what longboarding should be. When you open up Instagram and you see Devin Howard, like we were talking about last week at Malibu on a log, like nose riding and, you know, like that is what you want to see. Just barely making a whitewash climb, roller coastering down it is not no. what should be, you know, that that's not it's what it horrible. should be. It's, yeah. It is horrible, actually. Um, but so those are the winners of the event. Um I, I couldn't also help but feel as I was watching the men's shortboarding that Felipe Toledo would have smoked everybody out there. You know, like yeah. as exciting as it was to watch the locals, I'm like, they it's not them going against world-class talent. It's kind of everybody who's on the come up come battling it out against one another. Whereas in the past you'd have at the U.S. Open, you know, Mick Fanning surfing against Brett Simpson when Brett Simpson won his first title and Kelly Slater constantly in the event and stuff like that. So not having the, I mean, Kanoa is a top-level C-tier, but not having really the top five C-tiers there, the Italos, the Gabriels, the Felipes, I think also left a question mark in my brain for how is Nolan Raposa going to stack up against those guys once he's on the CT, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, more is to be revealed. Like, I, you know, is he a top 12 in the world? I, I really only want to see the top 12. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Well, Eli, so Eli Hanneman comes into question then because since Eli was 14, he was marked, earmarked as going to be the next big thing out of Maui, potentially out of Hawaii, and going to compete on the world level probably for world titles. And this is the first event that I've seen him actually deliver on that potential. His free surf edits are always insane. But I really feel like based on the current structure of the tours, he could actually qualify for the CT off of this one win, essentially. Yeah. And, and you know, more will be revealed regarding um, the headspace of these young up-and-comers that are trying to take uh, you know, move into the top spots on the CT. It's fairly obvious that the top 32 surfers in the world are great surfers like so to me it kind of comes down to certainly there there is a separation as you've mentioned many times david between the john johns and say number 32 but really when you get into the top 12 what you're dealing with here is is the mental aspect the ability to to uh, overcome you know it just becomes a mental game, I think. It's it's a matter of, you know, yeah. I, I agree with you, but I think there's two things that come with that mental, two benefits or virtues that come with the mental game. One is being, being steely in high-pressure situations. Yeah. But number two is when you have that mentality, I think it unlocks a new level of surfing. You know, and so the difference between John John and number 32 isn't just a certain competitive steeliness and a certain competitive mental game, it's a different level of surfing. But that level of surfing is unlocked by knowing very confidently who you are 
the space you occupy, your ability level, all that sort of thing, and not looking over at Gabriel Medina and being like, holy cow, he's insane and he's on my tail. Maybe I should start doing what he's doing. No. It's just yeah. focusing on who you are, your own totally unique agree. your own unique physicality and how that translates, your own unique creative outlook on this whole thing and how you translate that onto a wave. And that's how you ascend to a different level. Yeah. I mean, if you're number 32 in the world and you draw, say, John John at Chopu, um, look, I have no doubt as number 32 in the world, you're a great backside tube rider, or at least you can get it done, you know, but now it's you, John John and 45 minutes. What are you going to do? And it's easy to cave and just go, I better, you know, like, you know, you, you know what I mean? And so that's where I mean, there's some mental fortitude where it's like, you got to own your own space and yeah. have some confidence. And, and, um, you know, Jow's a great example of that. You know, I don't necessarily think Jow's got the greatest style. I certainly, you know, he's a little cumbersome, a little square, whatever, however you want to, you know, I'm not saying the guy doesn't rip, get me, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is his mental fortitude is what's kind of exciting about him is why I root for him in some cases. In many ways, he's, he's sort of a better version of, um, who's the Brazilian guy that the blue collar guy that we used to love? Caio. No, no, no. Who won the world title? Oh, Adriano. Yeah. Adriano de Souza. Thank you. ADS. You know, we used to love ADS because he, he put in the hard yards, you know, and, and it showed up because he was, you know, he was mentally ready. And I think Joao's like a better version of that. Well, Joao was um, in that exact situation that you described against John John at Pipeline. So John John's home break when it was pumping in the first event that Joao ever surfed on tour, you know, and he lost that heat, if I remember correctly, but I feel like he should have won that heat. You know, it was right there. It was nines versus nines. And I felt like Joao's were gnarlier. And Um, he was hurt before the event. Yeah. So, I mean, he has exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I there's a couple of guys that we could probably, Matt McGillivray, I feel like has, you know, leveled up in that similar occasion. Well, so to bring this back to Eli or to bring this back to this like potential new crop of guys, and I'm not focusing on Eli here at all, but you mentioned that he's had a star on his back for a long time as a young kid that's been under the spotlight. Which to me tells me, and again, I, I don't know the situation. I don't have all the facts in front of me. But it tells me that he's been given a lot and maybe too much too soon. And we've seen a lot of young surfers that have been given too much too soon sort of flame out. And I hope that's not the case. I, again, I don't know Eli's upbringing. I'm sure he has great parents, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, when we look at guys that should have been world champions and didn't, didn't come through – um, you know, we, we, what we see often is guys that were given way too much, way too soon. And then when you look at guys like Jow, he wasn't giving shit. Yeah. He was hungry. You know, um, there's other guys yeah. like that too, that you're just like Kyle, you know, there's guys and it seems it's what you notice here is Brazilians that, that seem to have a little bit more, um, fight, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I fully agree with that sentiment. I think that It also relates directly to the venues on tour because Eli Hanneman, and I'll throw Baron Mamiya into this equation as well, certainly they were given contracts when they were teenagers, or they earned contracts when they were teenagers, I should say, 
But their style of surfing really was catered to great surf. You know, and they have an air game as well, but they can bust that air game out in bigger surf also. And so it's kind of surprising that Eli would win his breakthrough event at Huntington in two-foot surf. But I feel like if the tour was geared towards world-class waves, Baron Mamiya and Eli Hanneman would be in the top 10 and the Kaiowa bellies of the world, you know, would be struggling to find their spot. Although it's not fair to throw him under the bus because he thrives kind of in big surf too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, to be honest, Gabriel Medina, Italo came from meager or humble circumstance and showed up in big world-class surf when, when it called, um, Felipe, not so much, but I do well, think that those beyond, guys, even beyond the Brazilian, um, socioeconomic situation, which I think is pretty generally speaking, most Brazilian surfers are, are like middle-class or upper middle-class. It's hard to be an Italo and, and, and get through and break through. And, but, um, the thing that the Brazilians fought forever was just kind of North American bias. For sure. You know? And that was the one thing where they had to be steely and determined and, and push through it, you know, and, and they did. And frankly, I expect big things from Eli Hanneman. I, I, I can see him being, I mean, it wouldn't, I could see Eli Hanneman in three years being in the final five, you yeah, know, like that wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, and I hope it happens. You know, which I is just, how I, f- I just, I, I just, we, more needs to be revealed. And again, I, to me, no matter what sport you're in, all the top guys are, are incredible at what they do. And the separation happens when you put in the hard work and, um, that provides a certain amount of confidence and a certain amount of mental acuity that helps you get to be the best that you can be. Well, in regard to the local come up, the reason why this conversation I think is exciting for you and I is it's been absent for a very long time. You know, like when you look at who's breaking through into the CT every year, it's a long list of Australians and Brazilians essentially. And so the Americans had um, Griffin in the last five years, Kanoa in the last 10 years and Kaloe prior to that. But really that was it. And I mean, even uh, not only just coming on to tour, but even the people who are on tour, I feel like there was three. There was Kelly. John John doesn't qualify because he qualifies as Hawaiian. And so there really wasn't a lot of local rooting interest. And to be honest, I didn't really have a lot of pride anyways. I'm happy just to kind of watch the best surfing. But now that I see these local guys coming up, I do feel a certain amount of investment and pride. And so currently qualified uh, via the Challenger Series, we have... Cole Hauschman, we have Crosby Colapinto, who's now qualified. I think Cade Madsen is right there, like in the top 10. He just needs to solidify it. And then just outside of that, we have Jet Schilling and Nolan Raposa. And there's two events left. There's Aracera in Portugal, and there's Sacarema in Brazil. Both of those take place in October. Wow. Yeah, that's that's cool. So we're all eyes are peeled on these local Californians. And when you were talking and we were talking about how it's exciting, there's new guys coming up. I was thinking to myself, sort of um, relative to what I said about Brazil, East Coast surfers here in Cal- uh, in the North America, the Floridians, the New Jersey guys, um, even North Carolina guys, um, they too have had a sort of a bias. And look what they've done. They've been some of the best surfers on tour. Corey Shea, 
um, the Hobgood brothers, of course, the greatest of all time, Kelly Slater. You know what I mean? Like you, these guys weren't given much, you know, in fact, they were told get in the back of the bus. You're from Florida. The waves are shitty. And I mean, I remember CJ and Damien, their rookie years in Hawaii, they just like, were like, let's go, you know, like, and we're just charging closeouts at, you know, log cat or rock piles or, you know, like log cat, just, you know, shitty waves, just like they were charging, you know, and, and people noticed, you know, and, um, I don't think that they were given too much too soon. I think that they had to earn it. And I don't mean, again, I don't necessarily mean fiscally, although that could be the case in some cases here, but more, more about the, just the, you know, kind of push to the back of the bus, so to speak, and having to overcome that. And I think East Coast servers have that. I think Brazilians have that. And, um, you know, it's interesting, like, how come there aren't more Tahitians on tour? How come there aren't more Hawaiians on tour? The waves are good. The waves are killer. Who wants to go on tour? But if you're in the East Coast or you're in some crappy wave in Brazil or whatever, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, you're 100% right. There is a certain, uh, yeah grit that comes with growing up in those locations actually in college i was in a sociology class and they gave this example that kind of uh verifies what you're talking about which is when you look at um the industrial age and like all of the developments that happened and even art poetry writing the great literature that's come out of the world all of it happens in a certain latitude level on the globe on the north and the south but within like let's say 25 degree like 23 degrees latitude to 38 degrees latitude because everything closer to the equator is too warm and people kind of develop you know a certain comfort (laughs) they don't Mm. and also it's hard to work outside in the middle of the day if you're close to the equator. So that limits the amount of work hours that you put in. Otherwise, you're kind of resting. And everything over a certain latitude, like 38, it's too cold. And so you're limited in the number of hours that you can put in so, in terms of work. That's so classic. And so all, malaise. I mean, truly. So when you look at, again, great literature, all of the advancements in the aerospace industry, the automotive industry, the mechanics of, you know, um, industrialization of factories and all that sort of stuff, it all happened in those same strips. And so I think that is related to what you're talking about, you know, like in Tahiti, it's like, man, I'm just going to go surf and I'm just going to go surf my local waves. There's no need to fly to Huntington beach to surf two foot waves because God, it's perfect here. And, and the other example that we see is people who do that, they then earn all this money, work for 30 years, sacrifice family, all that sort of stuff, only to come back and retire in Tahiti. <laughs> like, why ever go on that journey in the first place? Just you're already there. You've already made it, you know? Yeah, I mean, this kind of speaks to the idea of putting a tour in good waves. If we put a tour in good waves, we probably would see more Tahitians you know, can you imagine if there was a tour at Cloudbreak, Chopu, um, maybe Jeanette. that other good left, Hapiti on Morea, um, you know, like, that's a lot of lefts. <laughs> I guess we need to mix <laughs> in some rights, too. rifles. Um, but you get my point, like, you'd probably see more Hawaiians and more Tahitians in the top. You know, yeah. they'd be way more motivated. to. I mean, they're going to want to surf eight foot Chopu if that's on, yeah. the, you know along with all these other great 
powerful tropical waves. Well, I forgot as I was talking about Americans on tour, I did forget to mention Connor Coffin. He was on tour the last few years and um, yeah. just retired. He officially announced his retirement at the U.S. Open after losing mid-event. Um, and yeah, so that's worth noting. Congratulations, Connor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he was um, a classic and powerful regular foot who who had an incredible carve game um and i right now that doesn't translate super good he he was a world-class surfer but you know you think of guys like mick fanning taylor knox connor coffin just incredibly stylish regular foots but didn't really have an air game and you kind of have to have an air game to to be on the tour this you know to be even considered right yeah I love Connor. Now, let me ask you this. Jao Chianka, what's his, what's his air game like? Phenomenal. I don't – I'm sure it is, by the way, but that's not what comes to mind. Like, I don't think I, – I, I can't even think of one insane air that he's done. You know, I'm sure he's got it all. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, you think about, obviously, Felipe or Gabe or Idolo or even Ethan Ewing, John John. You're like, oh, yeah, those guys all – even Jordy. You know, Jordy was an air game guy before there was air game guys. No, I think Joao is a well, much more well-rounded surfer than Italo, Gabe, or uh, Felipe. Like Felipe came on with airs, and then Gabe, was you like, think he's more well-rounded than Gabe? Yeah, I, I think mean, Gabe's at, the perfect package. I don't think so. Like, look Gabe's at remember style the, is better than Joao, right? Do we agree there? No, 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 no. no? I like Joao's. I like Joao's style, but it's but it's Gabe. negligible. It's not like one's that much better. It's not like Ethan Ewing versus Kyle Abel. Something. True. That's true. But I, but remember the conversation about Jamie Tierney's picking the picking the clips for how surfers get paid about Gabriel not being able to do a carve like a full yeah. rail carve because Jordy right. called him out on it. Right. And Jamie spent hours. He told me, and he could right. not find a video. And so okay. the clip that he the clip that he used verified what Jordy was saying, which right. is Gabe. You've never seen Gabe do a full rail turn. And I so he you mean like he, a fully engaged rail turn with at the very end, you continue it into a down carve. Yes, correct. Like we're calling out Gabe right now, or you are, David, and I'm backing it, by the way. Jordy, Jordy called Gabe, let's see, your rail, let's see your rail game, Gabe. Come on. Okay. Yeah, because Jor, Jor, or um, Gabriel's always looking down the line. So Gabe's like, and he's got a ton of power. It's not to say he doesn't have power. Like he smashes a section with a ton of power. He rides those thicker tail boards. He's got big legs, but he's aiming down the line kind of at all times. Whereas I feel like Joao, it's a more well-rounded, like it is focused on the rail game and connection of turns. And then when he gets a lip, he blows the fins out or does a big air. And, you know, so I think time will tell. Like it, Joao hasn't been around long enough. You could give Gabe like a lot of, points for how long he's been doing it at his level but i really feel like joao is kind of the better path in terms of how i would want to surf how i would want my kid to surf that sort yeah. of thing i feel yeah. like joao is more well-rounded all right that's interesting what about elo because i'm trying to think of guys like gabe who are sort of telegraphing like kind of staying up high and just looking down the line all the time yeah. you're kind of suggesting with gabe that's why he doesn't engage that rail through a deep full yes. carve back into the juice and is Idolo that way as well? Is Idolo yes. lacking power, a powerful rail game? Idolo is even more, even more so, I would say. Idolo is the definition of um, 
short, fast, rapid, you know, energizer bunny type surfing. And so, yeah, that's why I brought the, that's why I brought up those examples of you got Joao, I feel like is the most well-rounded. He's kind of a combination of what we've seen out of the best of Brazil up until now, you know? Um, and well, let me he, throw this out here. Felipe's developed all that rail game over time, but when he first entered the scene, he was the air guy. That's how we know. You know where they actually have, or Gabe for sure has insane rail game. And this might, well, it's actually in their bottom turn. Like that's a, that's a rail game. And we don't think about that. We're always thinking, oh, off the top, did he engage that inside rail all the way through the roundhouse or whatever? Yeah. But Gabe's burying his rail through a massive bottom turn to then go up and do like a fin hack, a gaffing powerful, but it's a fin hack at the top. It's not, it's not a full engaged rail thing like John John's hacks, but you could say that they actually do have rail game. We're forgetting the bottom turn because Gabe's got one of the best backside hold the line, not four or five check turns, one big long drawn out bottom, you know, rail turn. That's accurate. And it's, when I say they don't have rail game, I'm not saying full stop. I'm saying compared to the top five surfers in the world, like clearly they're world champs, multiple time world champs. They have rail game. But yeah, right. compared to John John, when you watch John John's recent edit that Florence Marine X sent out to their, you know, members. Yeah. Yeah. It just came out this week. It's from J Bay. They'll put it on the internet for free, I'm sure, in a week or two. But when you look at that footage of John John, the water angle slow-mo i mean he is in the same space that italo and gabe are fitting in what you talked about the big bottom turn into the fin through the lip kind of a backside turn john john is doing the same engaged bottom turn a full rail taylor knox wrap in the pocket on the open face back into the whitewash straight into another down carve up into you know like it is a full symphony with rail in the water transitioning into the next rail in the water the entire time there's like no flat planing surface ever it's just rail to rail to rail to rail it's one continuous turn you know and and And, and holding the power the whole time the other thing that might be missing from this too is that when you do that you're engaging the waves energy all of it you're maximizing the waves energy if you go off the bottom and go up to this just the top one third of the wave and bust your fins out the back all the waves energy is down below, like where John John's continuing to move his rail through and down to the bottom into the, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're sort of not tapping all the juice, so to speak. Yeah. And that's why it's so hard to do because it's, it's the opposite of looking for a score to be perfectly honest. Like if you're looking for a score, you're looking down the line, where's the lip? Where can I kind of flare things out? Because that just looks the most glitzy and the most impressive, but it's the opposite of that. It's being in the moment and being connected to the ocean, forgetting about what the eyeballs are looking for because it's lost on a lot of those eyeballs, you know? Um, And that's why it's so hard to do. And I think many of us, when we're watching competitive surfing, we can see that. Like I've noticed, I know you have, I know the listeners have, I've seen guys surf and I go, it looks like he's surfing to a score. Like he's not, whereas John John just looks like he's absolutely doing what he would do in a free surf, but he just happens to have a jersey on. 
I mean, the entire U.S. Open is surfing to a score. That's like yeah. when you watch it, that's all that they're doing because they wouldn't even be surfing there if, if it wasn't for the contest because it's that crappy. Um, but that that connected rail surfing that we're talking about, that's where we can bring the conversation back to Connor Coffin because he certainly implemented that style of surfing, which, like you said, doesn't really have a place on tour for a lot of the stops that they're going to. But he was still able to break through into that top five that one season. Um, so I like, I appreciate Connor's contributions. I love Connor as a surfer. I also think Connor's a great human being. I think about, I think about, it's so weird to be having a retirement conversation for Connor because he feels so young to me still. And I think about what's possible for the rest of his career. And I think it could be exactly where it started, which is he and Parker, his brother on, in the vlog space, they had a site called Young Wise Tales that was before we even knew what a vlog was. It was more yeah. of them just like filming their surfing. There was no selfie kind of confessionals or anything like that. It was just they had a filmer. They'd film their surfing. They'd make little edits, and they were funny. They have great personalities, and they have great contrasting styles of surfing. And I think Parker has hit his zenith in terms of his own surfing, and so I would love to see more of it. Connor's on a new path. They could they could do something really interesting in that space. I love it, and look, I would love to see some more Connor Coffin. I mean, you know, Connor at eight foot J Bay, Connor at um, you know, there's many spots where where you're like, yeah, and and that was part of the problem is that you know the tour didn't necessarily um, provide the best opportunities for him as far as the, no. the locations. Now, interestingly though, I think it was the COVID year that he. He did really well, and the waves were complete crap. Yeah, like didn't he do good at like Narrabeen or something? Yeah, or, he did. Or Merriweather or something. He like that. he had linked up with Glenn Micro Hall, which I think locked up a part of his game that you know he did not have figured out prior. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is kind of an anomaly. Um, and then the other conversation here, I think, as it relates to Americans and. The come up versus the come down. Chloe Andino, who got bumped off tour, surfed in this event. It's a CES event. We were like, oh yeah, Chloe, he's off tour, but he'll just join the CES events and he'll get back on tour right away. Not so much. He lost in this event, I feel like in the first or the second round. I don't know if he made that first heat. And um quietly just dis- quietly was like, you know, not in the event anymore. However, he threw the full weight of his power behind that San Clemente crew. He's on the beach. He's cheering everybody on. They've got t-shirts for their 2% thing that their, their video series that they're doing, which by the way is also designed to lift up and elevate that entire crew of San Clemente surfers. And so I saw Chloe very quickly transition from off tour leading the charge to being the full support system for everybody who's coming up. Yeah, this this seems like it's shaping up to actually be the greatest chapter of his professional career because there is a lot of momentum around San Clemente. I've been getting um, direct messages from people basically saying, hey, especially, well, not just the boys, but the women too, mm-hmm. um, basically saying, hey, if there was ever a doubt that San Clemente is Surf City USA, there's no doubt now as far as competitive surfing What's going on there is um, next level. If you're a young surfer, you need to be at lower trestles every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or in that San Clemente sphere, maybe maybe it's 
God forbid, T Street or State Park or something. But the energy there for young professionals, for young competitive surfers, amateurs and professionals alike, is through the roof. And Kaloi seems to be corralling it all. And good for him. Coalescing it all, you know, like he was certainly a mentor for Griffin Colopinto, who has now gone on to surpass Kaloe's legacy on the CT by winning multiple events and all that sort of stuff. And so a lot of that, those young groups also look up to Griff as a mentor now and kind of coalesce around that. And so there's no question that that there's a long tail of legacy for Kaloe and what he did and what he's continuing to do. I mean, he's making intentional investments in that community through the 2% series. And you can see that those kids are just psyched and they're all a part of it. Like that's another thing of, I mean, we could point to the Godowskis brothers too. Their whole like positive vibe warriors is infused through all of this. It's all positive. They're doing local events for community. They're rallying the, uh, you know, the unsung heroes, let's say, and really supporting. There's none of that like San Clemente mafia mentality that there was when I was a kid where it was like the Fletchers and Archie and you had to get Chris Ward and you had to be like, keep your eyes down. Don't look at them. Don't like cheer them on. Don't hoot them into a wave. Just pretend like you're not watching. Like <laughs> these guys are all about like waving the flag, you know? Uh, surfers are the worst, man. Surfers are the worst. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is that it's authentic. The, the energy coming from Koloe that he's providing for those San Clemente surfers is authentic and sincere. Like, it seems like Koloe is at his most comfortable as sort of this mentor coach. And I wouldn't be surprised if this thing continues to blow up in a very good way for him. And I don't know what that means other than maybe there's a a brand that comes out of this. Um, I know there already kind of is, but I mean, you know, who knows, you know, um, and, and we'll see, but, uh, we're all eyes are keenly, you know, on Kolohe and what he's doing in for the San Clemente area. And for frankly, North American servers, it feels like our next champions coming from that camp, so to yeah. speak. And it might be Griffin this Very year well could be, yeah, very well. By the way, the, yeah. uh, the Chopu event. Well, I mean, despite ev us spending 40 minutes talking about the U.S. Open, the heat of the year just went down in this last week as well, during the U.S. Open, by the way. Well, what's, what's sad about this, we think, I mean, I hate to be a harbinger of bad news, but the heat of the event happened before the event happened. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not only that the heat of the event, I mean, arguably the heat of the year took place in the finals for the show yeah. or of the finals of the trials for the Chopu event. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and most of the action happened in the first half of the heat, which, yeah. which was a, a little bit of a bummer. It was sort of slow the last part. But I mean, when you've got 18 points and you need a 10, you're waiting for a good wave. You're just not, you know, yeah. although although he did stay busy. How do you pronounce his first name? Is it Emilio? Emio. Uh, Emio Sergemac. Cermak. MEO. So he got second. Matoa Drelay uh, got first, and he got a 10 and a 9.3, I think. Matahi. First a 9.3, then a 10. How do I say his name? Matahi. Matahi. Sorry, you combined go him and Manoa's name. <laughs> that, that makes sense. <laughs> Matahi. You know, it's, I apologize. I'm, I'm, you know. But Drelay got a 9.63, then a 10. Um, 
Emio, I think he got an 8.3 or 8.1 or something, and then got a 10. So we had back-to-back 10s. Yeah. First relay, then Emio. And we're sitting for 20 minutes waiting for – Emio basically needs a 10. Yeah. And um, it didn't really come. He did, he did try. You know, he went for some deep, deep no-hand backside barrels and just kind of got eaten up by the foam ball. But what a great heat. Let me back up to the beginning of this. First of all, this, again, like I said, took place during the U.S. Open. And I feel like uh, there was no fanfare surrounding it. Like we saw it after the fact. And thankfully, the WSL pulled the heat. They were videoing it and they pulled it and put it on YouTube so that we could all access it. Because otherwise, it's buried in the archives of their website if they publish it at all. And so good on them for at least making it accessible on YouTube. Because it's a shame when stuff like this happens and it's like, and it, and it just doesn't have, it doesn't have accessibility essentially, but everybody's focused on the U S open two foot surf and this is going down, uh, behind the scenes. And so it was super exciting and now we can kind of point to it and celebrate it. But, uh, I think you're right. It will kind of overshadow probably the rest of the event based on the swell forecast. But here's what I learned from pushing play on the heat, or here's what I was reminded of within the first five minutes is it looks like a lake. There's two guys sitting there and then you see the swell line coming and the way that it sucks up off the reef and it's kind of below sea level. When that wave approaches, you instantly know you would not go. You're oh like, God, you're so like, gnarly. I hold, okay. Those two guys sitting on surfboards in the water. That's relatable. I, okay. A crystal blue water. Look at the backdrop this is beautiful. I, I fit in here. As soon as that thing lurches, you go, holy crap. I am not qualified for that. And by the way, very few people would go and even fewer could actually surf it the way that those guys are surfing. So juxtapose that, that I just described with Huntington beach. And that should tell you the exact difference of what the WSL should be going for. If it is the World Surf League, you want to showcase what very few people on the planet not only could surf, but wouldn't even fool themselves into thinking that they would go on that wave. You know what I mean? Because that's the world-class athlete. That is the equivalent of stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson. You're like, I, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to get in the ring with Mike Tyson. You couldn't pay me to go on that wave in Chopu. And so to see those waves come through and see Matahi not only get the first one, but soul arch into that thing. With it's his like, tongue out. He soul arched in his tongue with that. He was laughing inside this thing at the most you know critical moment. You're like, holy cow, is he going? Oh my God, he made the drop. Oh my God, it's going to be a 10. But like you said, that casual approach of in those most intense moments where he's like, bro, I do this all the time. I live here. Like here, now I'm showing off. That's where you go. Holy cow. This is a whole different level. You know what I mean? No offense yeah. to Eli Hanneman and Huntington, but I've seen, I've seen 12 year olds doing, you know, a big snap and an air reverse on a wave at Huntington all the time, you know, yeah. who don't even have sponsors. And so what Matahi's doing out there, you're like, there's, I don't know, five to eight people on the planet who could do that. It's insane. Uh, there's probably more. You mean guys that can take off late, do a soul arch and laugh inside the tube? It was a sick wave, dude. It was. No, I'm, you know. So then sure there's more than eight, but. Well, what's. Okay, so what's a small amount for sure. What's crazy is that was a legit 10, you know, like, oh, yeah. but then 
Emio's wave was a 12. It was like, next level. Like, honestly, no I, I, I could not believe the way that... I know. I couldn't believe the way that Emio approached that thing. Like, he was deeper, the takeoff. I was like, oh my God, like that pump, that initial kind of knife into a pump up high, knowing that that foam ball's coming, no hands. I'm like, there's no way he's making this thing. So if Matahi's was a 10, Emio's was a 12. It's exactly what you want out of a heat. It was. Hold on for just a sec. All right. While we're on break, let's give a quick shout out to Trees Wax, which is our favorite. I mean, I mean, maybe the only surf wax that I know of that's petroleum free. They make this from limestone, tree sap, resins, and it's available at treeswax.com or at Half Moon Bay Board Shop, Zuma Jays in Malibu, Pride Surf and Skate in OB in San Diego. And I know you're using it too. I am. What a great composition, you know, environmentally friendly um, materials made to make the trees wax. And man, is it sticky. I've been using it a lot. All, that's all I've been using. Me too. And it's great. And I'm super psyched on it. And so, you know, it, it provides the best of both worlds, right? A performance um, plus a, an earth friendly uh, product. So trees wax, it's yeah. a no brainer. No brainer. And then real water sports, we want to mention they're doing a slash and burn sale is what they're calling it, but, um, major discounts on surfboards, foil gear, all that stuff up to $900 off on surfboards and really cool boards too. Like they have Christensen's in this mix. They have, uh, Rawson's, uh, so jump on this, I would say. Absolutely. By the way, we've been talking about foiling. You can get a foil set up there for a major discount. Oh, Hey man, Matt, and uh, Jason and Trip and the crew there were so great to us on our foil trip. And, you know, they, I'm excited about what they've turned me on to yeah. um, the whole foiling thing. So uh, if you're looking for foil gear, realwatersports.com. Slash and, and they've burn. And they've got slash and burn going. So let's do this. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals 
work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, I'm back. All right, so... The other detail that stands in stark contrast to me about watching that first 10 minutes of that heat was it's insane when they do make it. And maybe there's more than 12 people who would make it, but not a lot more. But when they don't make it, it's a matter of life and death, (laughs) which is not the case in Huntington ever, you know. And so I forget who it might have been Emio. Um went down on a wave and the jet skis rush in and you're like, I mean, he legitimately could be, if not dead, he could be maimed. Like it's that serious out there. And so you're, um, you're waiting with bated breath every step of that heat, you know? And like you said, the last 20 or 15 minutes weren't, there weren't waves, but you're still waiting with bated breath, watching the entire thing. You're not going to walk away because you know what the potential is out there. Yeah, and, and as you said that, I was thinking, um, you know, the litmus test should almost be, is this a three-man heat? In other words, it's Drolet versus Emio versus Chopu. And right. at every event, the contest director needs to go, do we have a three-man heat here? Yep. Are there three entities that are that are at play? And... Um, if the answer is no, then we don't have a contest or one that that brings the man versus nature element that you often cite as crucial and we all know is crucial. Wave of consequence. Are the, is it a three-man heat? Yeah. And the, the real structure of that is actually Matahi and Emio versus Chopu first. Yeah. The competitor is secondary. Yeah, exactly. So... It, it, you know, look, the forecast coming up here 
isn't super great. Um, but let me tell you something that's that I find interesting. Do you know where Kelly Slater is right now? Mm, Pebble Beach. <laughs> Excuse me. No, the exact opposite. Kelly Slater right now is at Skeleton Bay. He is surfing uh, as we speak, perhaps, although it's probably the late afternoon there. Uh, the gnarliest, the grindiest, the longest, the coldest sand bottom left tube in the world. He's going to fly into Tahiti, and it's going to be three to five feet, blue water, perfect chopu. And it's going to be like butter in his hands. I sense that Kelly really feels like he needs to make a statement, an Olympic statement, a statement to the organizers, a statement to the naysayers that he belongs in the Olympics in 2024 in Tahiti. And the fact that he's coming from Skeleton Bay, just the exact opposite of Tahiti, of Chopu, he's going to just slide right in and go, this is easy compared to what I was just dealing with. The opposite, but the same, you know, the same skill sets. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a bathtub for him. And so I've put him on my fantasy team. And I think all the listeners should too. You want to Again, guess? He's going to make you, a statement. You want to know how many heats Kelly's won this year? Two? Four. <laughs> yeah. I was actually looking at the, at the scores and there's guys that, you know, Kelly's made the cut line through his, I don't know, the Kelly rule or whatever. But Kelly if you're Kelly Samuel got... Pupo, you're like, dude, I, know. <laughs> I surfed way better than this guy <laughs> the first half of the year. I know. Yeah. So how do you know he's in Skeleton Bay? Because Strider has been putting it on his – yesterday Strider put it on his Instagram, oh. his story. Okay, I missed and it. And it was insane, and it's – and he's there. He was there yesterday, and he's there today, and it was pomping. Um, and they got you know Kelly's with them and Kalani, and he's suiting up, and he's just frothing. And you can imagine what it's like going from Skeleton Bay to Chopu. It's you know, it's going to be a cakewalk for Kelly. Now the waves are only going to be three to five feet. Um, you know, there might be a day where it's maybe six feet. It's not going to be anywhere near what we hoped it would be. And we spoke about that last time. I'm not going to get into that, but, uh, well, I love, I, I hope I get to watch this footage of Kelly at skeleton Bay, because this is what I love Kelly for that. You know, I, I've criticized Kelly's competitive results for the last eight or 10 years. Um, but I don't really want to watch him watch, surf in the events that are on the CT at this point in the venues that they're on. It's not where he shines. And so, having him kind of doing a global surf trip throughout the year is what we want from Kelly. And I've never seen him. He's never been to Skeleton Bay before. I've never seen that footage. I would love to see that. That's exactly what I want out of my Kelly Slater. So I'm thrilled to hear that he's there. And I agree with you. It's a smart um, training trip for Chopu, paradoxically. I mean, he's 50, what is he, 53 or 54 or 52 or something? I'm I mean, going to say 52. He's probably the oldest guy to ever surf Skeleton Bay. I mean, that is not a simple wave. That's probably no. one of the most difficult waves in the world to surf, I think. Yeah. I don't gnarly. know, but I mean, the drop is but, pretty gnarly. But he's perfectly suited for it. I mean. Oh, absolutely. You're going to see some insane footage because the place was packed with photographers. Like yeah. Strider took his camera and kind of panned down the beach. And 
believe me, word was out <laughs> that Kelly yeah. was there. So well, there's going to be plenty other, of coverage. My other thought of that is, who lives a better life than Strider? <laughs> he's he's doing well. Good for him, man. More more power to him. I'm, I'm happy made, for him. He's made great decisions in life, and one yeah. of them was marrying up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair his enough. wife, his wife's a major real estate uh, agent in Malibu, and I don't know if you've seen the compound they live in, but it's the it's uh, level. yeah, it is the uh, that's how the other half lives. Good for lifestyles of the rich and famous, traveling the world, surfing with Kelly all the time. So here's what's interesting too about about this is that so right now, as many of you know, Felipe. Ethan and Griffin have the top three spots in the final five locked up. There are two spots that are still available. Now, Jiao Chianka and Yago Dora have those two spots right now, but they are the hunted and the hunters are Gabe Medina, John, John Florence and Jack Robinson. And frankly, wouldn't it be neat if guess who Kelly Slater becomes a spoiler and get finds himself against Yao or Yago in an early round heat. And, um, and, you know, he's, he sort of comes out and, you know, like I said, he, he becomes the spoiler. That, that would be pretty fun. Uh, well, yeah, it's a you could easily look at Kelly's track record at Chopu and make that argument. <clears throat> I don't think Iago or Joao are slouches in big barreling lefts. I think that they are actually not gonna be big, though. It's just going to be three oh, to five feet, so. which, which is even better for them, to be perfectly honest. I agree. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Totally but, agree. But so obviously Kelly's won the event multiple times probably um john john we know what he's like in those conditions but to be perfectly honest gabe surpasses all of them i don't think gabe's ever not made the quarterfinals there and he's made a bunch of semis and he's won the event multiple times i don't know three maybe times and so gabe is who you really would put your money on in this situation so do you see Yao or Yago make getting their way into the final five or will they be overtaken who's, by the who's Yao? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Jiao, Jiao, how do I say his name? Joao. <laughs> Yao Ming, he's a center I know. Chinese national basketball team. I don't think he'll fit in the tubes there. That's the problem. He's too big. Joao or Yago, do you think they hang on? <clears throat> I don't, yeah, I don't think they hang on, dude. I don't, I don't think that they hang on. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's kind of 50 50. Like, let's take them individually. Yago Dora could easily make the semifinals out there. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, yep. and the yep. ultimately, it's going to come down to a wave starved heat. In, in that run of the four heats or whatever that you've got to surf going up to the finals day, are they going to get a heat where there's only one set? in the, in the heat. And if they are, or if they do, do they get those, do they get two scores on the board? Like that's kind of what this comes down to. If it was just a full like barrel shootout and it was eight feet, I would put my money on Gabe, John, John, Jack Robinson and Kelly Slater to have those guys numbers for sure. But in that three foot condition, three to five feet, it's kind of up. It's 50, 50, I think. Yeah, I agree. It it sort of equalizes the situation a lot, and in some regards, helps for sure. Uh, Joao and Yago. Yeah, it uh, does. But yeah, Gabe Medina seems like a lock because Gabe's kind of guy on a three to five foot day. He'll come out of the tube and do an aerial. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's he, and the other thing is he's unflappable. Like he's 
he just oh, he's yeah. gonna make his waves and i feel like yeah. joao i could see coming up against somebody and like pushing the limits a little bit like trying to take off deeper trying to do something wild and not necessarily making it you know if he goes down once that's going to leave a hole for somebody for a world champ to actually seize yeah so i don't know it'll be fun yeah it'll be fun that's it that's the other thing is like when the waves are the stars nobody loses so in that trials final emio officially lost that heat i don't know if we mentioned <laughs> matahi <laughs> actually won the heat and got a berth into the event so he'll be surfing in the event he but, faces felipe by the way oh, okay perfect but but emio you could easily everybody's like shoo him into the event figure out a way for him to get into the event because he earned it there were no yeah. losers in that heat and well, certainly and- not the viewers that's the other thing that's a bummer about the their format, the WSL's format, is that you've got Kalu, Vost, and and Drolet, yeah, right. and their their talent is being wasted because the WSL's format doesn't allow running waves when the waves are perfect. It er- yeah, exactly. It demands running waves on a time frame, which is silly. Yeah. Speaking of Kelly Slater, uh, at the boardroom show, the boardroom international surfboard show presented by U.S. Planks. Steve Sherman's going to be giving his talk story photo exhibition called War and Peace about the years that with Kelly Slater and Andy Irons, their, their rivalry, their friendship. And of course, Steve Sherman, T. Sherms, he was on the front lines of all of it. And he's going to share behind the scenes anecdotes with his incredible photography of that time period. It'll be an unrivaled opportunity for us to ask T. Sherms questions about it all and to get anecdotes. So talk story photo exhibition, War and Peace with Steve Sherman's one of the many uh, things you can see at the Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Planks. In addition, David, the best in show Bonzer surfboard build-off is through the roof. I've never received this many uh, entries, and it's open to any surfboard builder in the world. If you're listening to this right now, build us a Bonzer and show up with it, and you're in. And um, we're getting flooded. Malcolm and Duncan Campbell, the Bonzer brothers, are the judges. And they're going to have their hands full. There's going to be some incredible stuff there. And um, I'm super amped about the Boardroom International Surfboard Show. Presented by U.S. Planks, coming up October 7th and 8th. Tickets will be available shortly. So the Campbell brothers are going to show up. They're going to survey all of those submissions. And they are going to pick their favorite Bonzer amongst them. And what does the winner win? thousand dollars and a a chain you're gonna get a chain that has a, a massive i guess what what would you call it a, a metal a badge a I massive no metal a, a clock massive, like a clock kind of like a clock except without a face and hands and stuff on it it's gonna instead say champion Best in show, board build off, blah, 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 whatever it says. It's going to be a massive chain, like something that you would when, see. When did you start implementing this? I've never this heard of this. Year, this year. This is all new. Is I'm it excited. A, is it a gold chain or like a chain from Home Depot? Um, It, it might be gold painted, but it's not <laughs> going to be gold. Spray painted gold? Yeah, spray painted. Why? Yeah. Okay, so basically like when you are in the Olympics, you get a ribbon with a metal yeah. Is that the concept? No, the concept is a massive why badge slash why why not? Why wouldn't you do this? Because it's because it's fun, David. We okay, want to have okay, fun. Okay. 
I didn't know if this was like related to a Bonzer somehow or the Campbell no. brothers. Like, no, have, this, I don't no know. this is just the newest best in show award. Okay. So you can walk around the show with your chain on. Yeah. Flava Flav. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. Anyway, it's um, going to be good well, stuff. While we're talking about surfboards, we do have a listener submitted question that I would like for you to chime in on. Yeah. Uh, because it's specifically about your area of expertise. Johnny on Instagram said, hey, I have a, a question for Scott and yourself I'd like feedback on. Alternative construction logs, question mark. I'll give you some context. I'm looking to buy a new log, traditional shape longboard, of course. Um, I've been thinking about a Thomas or my standard local New Zealand shaper, but I've also seen the CJ Nelson designs and I've heard some more good reviews than bad. Not wanting to buy an Asian import board though, I'd rather support my local shaper. But then of course I saw the CI, the Channel Islands log that just came out. We have a local shaper who shapes the Channel Islands boards here, but his method of construction for his boards is EPS blank with a wood and he says a wool and epoxy resin. So I'm not sure what he meant by wool. Uh, but anyways, EPS blank with epoxy resin. So I wanted to get both your opinions on alternative construction, traditionally shaped longboards. I appreciate your perspective on this as it's more relatable to my surfing experience. Thanks. Well, it's a great question. Um, and if you're going to get a traditional longboard, I think you should get traditional construction. That's yes. the way I feel about it. Yes. Um, you should get poly with just, you, you want a board with weight. If it's a traditional longboard, you want a little bit of weight. You know, I, I think a, I think a 15 pound board isn't out of the question for a traditional longboard. Um, you know, if you're going a little bit more hybrid, I've heard great things about the Thunderbolt uh, technology, technology or the Thunderbolt build that they do over there at Firewire. And I've been wanting to ride one, um, specifically one of the Harley Ingleby boards. I just haven't got my hands on one. Um, and I'm also in, I've got foiling on the brain right now. I've been foiling like a freak. Uh, but if you're going traditional, as this gentleman suggests he is, uh, my hat's off to him. I think he should go to his local shaper and get a polyurethane blank with just standard resin, maybe a heavier glass job. Um, and, and that's, that's, it's kind of an easy, an easy answer in my opinion. There, you really don't want to go EPS with any kind of like flax resin or, or some sort of or flat or, you know, some sort of weird new weave, you know, some kind of cloth yeah. that we don't know about. I, but he's right. CJ, those CJ Nelson boards, uh, he said he's heard more positive than negative feedback on, but I don't know that those qualify as a traditional log. And even if CJ is marketing them and they have the word log in them, when I watch his style of surfing, it, it isn't traditional longboarding. Like he is ripping on those things and he's doing real fast cutbacks and stuff. Um, so I think that the virtues inherent in that construction are related to its light weight and its responsiveness, but a traditional log, again, I mentioned it earlier, pull up the Devin Howard footage with him promoting the new CI log and that style of surfing of keeping the board straight and just kind of maybe kicking it back into 
um, the pocket for a second with a little bit of a cutback, it's not redirecting the weight of the board. It's just kind of stalling the weight of the board for a minute to let the wave catch up and then resuming all the down the line speed. That's what he's doing. You know, you're not redirecting those boards. And so if the writer or listener is looking for a traditional log, then you're right. Weight is the virtue and you get weight through a denser poly blank and Volan thick glass, that sort of thing. And, and it's irreplaceable. There's no other way to do that style of surfing or it's way, way harder to do that style of surfing if you don't have the weight. Yeah, I agree. So the listener needs to kind of look inwardly and determine what kind of style or surfing he wants to do on this board. Because I agree with you, the CJ stuff, that's more like the kind of longboarding that I would want to do. A little bit more responsive, a little faster, a little quicker. Um, and so I'm sort of drawn towards that. I would, I personally would never get a traditional log, so to speak, because I just simply can't turn them. They don't do, my experiences, um, I'm not good enough to ride them. You know, I need a board that does a bottom turn. And um, there's guys that ride them that are great surfers that seem to know how to do bottom turns with them, but I can't seem to get any projection out of them. And so I'm geared more towards something that's a tweener almost, which probably explains why I can never get a really good one because I usually go one way or the other and I can never get that board that's that I can surf traditionally, but gives me feedback that's a little um, more sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the answer for the listener. Look look within, which style of surfing are you looking to do? And yeah. the boards that he's mentioned are all great options. You know, the Thomas board, certainly if you can get your hands on one of those in New Zealand, um, that'll serve a great purpose. And the CJ boards, if you're going to surf that way, fantastic i'm sure and, and devin tells me that that i'll be able to do a super smooth and projected bottom turn on the ci log that that's one of the things that they were working on and i've heard that too from thomas and from other guys sort of the secret sauce right now is making trying to get a really great nose rider but that also has a little bit more um play or projection if you will than say a complete you know tail dragger yeah well, we should mention, as we've mentioned, the CI log that uh, we got to point to Wayne Rich in that board's development and design. Oh, yes. Devin's, Devin's name is related or is associated with it because he did help develop it, but he was relying on Wayne Rich's um, guidance for that design. So Wayne Rich, yeah, a shout out. Yeah, Wayne. Wayne is the best. And I, as you know, I'm an owner of... I probably have five Wayne Rich boards in my back here. Big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, man. Well, well look. Good show. Great show. Yeah. Um, until next time, David. Adios and aloha.
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.